If we haven't met before, my name is Ben Robertson. I'm the campus minister with RUF, Reform University Fellowship at the college. So a special welcome to college students, especially if you're here for the first time. And uh, Chelsea, uh, who works with me, we were talking at the, end, uh, at the end of a party last night. We've had uh, stuff going on every single day this week, and uh, it's hard to believe that last Monday was six days ago. It feels like a month ago, uh, but it's been really fun and really great. And if we've missed you so far, uh, we don't want to miss you. We want to be a ministry for you wherever you land um, on campus. And so uh, I would hope to meet you afterwards uh, if we haven't met yet. Uh, and come out on Tuesday night. Tuesday night we'll meet at 730 in Tucker, uh, Tucker Theater. Uh, shameless plug there. Uh, so we're looking here at John chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 60, uh, before we head into the Lord's Supper. And uh, to give you a little context, Jesus has famously fed the 5,000 with bread and fish. And then he goes into this long teaching about uh, how he is the bread of life. And uh, it gives this long discourse about that. And towards the end of that, he starts to say things that become stranger and stranger and says that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood and strange things there, which we'll tap into in a minute. And people are starting uh, to be distressed by that. So we pick up at chapter 6, verse 60. And we read this. When many of his disciples heard it, that is that Jesus was saying that we need to eat his flesh and blood, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray and feast on this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. Um, they are hard. Help us to see and to hear and to believe and be changed wherever we're coming from, whether we are uh, full of faith or full of doubt and fear. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would meet us where we are and bring us closer to yourself. Would you do that by your spirit this morning, we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I heard a story about a woman named Patty Hinkin um, in Illinois, and she was reupholstering a rocking chair that she had bought at a consignment store, and she found an envelope as she pulled the fabric off, and inside the envelope was a note and a key, uh, and inside the note, it said that there were 250 gold coins buried in a chest 12 feet underground, and it had an address of a farm nearby. Uh, and it was signed by a man named Chauncey Walcott. 
So she was intrigued and she went to the owners of the property and she said, look, I found this note, explained it, showed the key, it was old, told the story. And they said, okay, you can, you can dig for it uh, and we'll split. We'll split the, we'll split the proceeds. Uh, so she rents a backhoe and starts digging holes all over this farm. And then it gets in the paper. Uh, then someone had called in after seeing this strange story, and they said, you know, there was this practical joker in the 50s and 60s named John Slavin. He used to go by the name Chauncey Walcott. Um, so this is probably a hoax. But Joe Slavin, uh, a.k.a. Chauncey Walcott, which, by the way, Patty, Chauncey Walcott, like, that just sounds, that sounds made up. Um, he used to live on that property, and he was an avid coin collector and was known for having this massive collection of coins. So it's like, maybe it's real, maybe it's not. Uh, she could continue searching, but not use the backhoe. The owners of the property were like, okay, now that we know that maybe this is sketchy, like enough with the backhoe, but you can still dig if you want to on our property. And uh, Patty Hinkin said this in her interview. I might play a practical joke like this in the future, but I would leave them something to find, like a clue or some indication of who I was and not just leave them wondering what kind of sick person would put someone through this. Um, so she had a decision to make at that point. Do I stay or do I go? Do I keep digging? Do I keep looking? Or do I just chalk it up to a mean joke and move along? And Jesus is in the middle of his disciples and they are at this critical juncture having followed him for some time and they have a decision to say, will I stay or will I go? Do I keep digging with this man or is it just time to move on? And we face all sorts of decisions in our life. And those of you who came, if you're a freshman at William & Mary, you had to choose, right? You had to pick, do I go to William & Mary or not? And now you might be saying, do I transfer next semester or not? Um, and we might be in that position in all sorts of things, stages in our life of, do I stay in this job or do I leave it? Do I keep trying or do I give up? Do I keep following God? Do I keep the faith? Do I continue this or not? Do I stay or do I go? Thank you to the clash. Um, first, we're going to look at why go? Why go? Um, Jesus seems to give reasons to leave him on purpose. <laughs> why go? Why would the 12 perhaps want to leave and the others with them? First, because Jesus is offensive. Jesus is, in fact, offensive. Uh, Jesus says himself, do you take offense at this? And in verse 60, they're saying, this is hard. Who can listen to it? What are they upset about? Well, back up, we didn't read it. I alluded to it, but Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, this is what he just said before they got offended. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate, meaning manna in the desert, and then they died. But whoever feeds on this bread, meaning himself, will live forever. What's offensive about that? It's a perfectly normal thing to say, right? It's cannibalistic. It's like shocking, like what, eat, eat, think. I mean, if you grew up in the church and you've kind of, we've been doing this, this thing for a while, right? A couple thousand years. But think about how that would sound. 
eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, if you're new to the church, you're probably in this moment going, why? Yeah, this, who are these people? Uh, it also sounds arrogant. It's the my blood, my flesh. It's this either or. It's exclusive. You're with me or without me. Um, what is it about Jesus that offends you? I noticed that um, when I stop finding Jesus offensive, I've quit paying attention um, as I study and read the scripture. It could be that exclusivity piece. You know, it's 2022. You're, you can't say this either or thing. We, we know better now. How can, there be, how can it be just you or the judgment of it? No life apart from me. It could be the theology of it. Did you catch it in verse 65 where he says, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my father? This idea of what we sometimes call sovereignty of God, that we can't do it on our own, and it seems unfair. And yet he still holds his audience responsible. He says, this is, I know that some of you don't believe, mentions Judas, and it seems to be putting the responsibility on them to have faith in him. But you just said, I can't have faith in you unless your father gives it to me first, but now you're holding me responsible for not having it. It seems really unfair. And this intellectual mystery, how do you put those things together? And he doesn't explain it. Or maybe we just want our freedom. We want to do what we want to do. We want our own ethics. Those are all reasons where we might want to walk away from this offensive man. Or if we dig a little deeper into our own hearts, there are these things on their surface that seem so offensive about Jesus. The second, it could be that we have other food and drink. We don't want to feast on his flesh and blood because we have other things filling us up. What do parents always say to their kids when they come home from school and they start pounding the snacks because they're hungry? Like, don't spoil your dinner. You know, don't fill up on snacks or you'll spoil your dinner. So we have other food and drink that are filling us up. And this is why Judas walked away. Um, he got 30 pieces of silver, if you know the story, and he got to be part of a powerful inside conspiracy among the leaders and got to be in the inner circle of power and become the secret keeper, the original worm tail, and he betrays Jesus. And see, Judas should sober us. Uh, Jesus references him a couple times here. Because we tend to think that someone that close to Jesus, he's one of the 12. Jesus even says, I picked him to be one of you. And yet he walks away. He betrays him. Um, Do you know that our moon is, a part of our moon is one degree colder than Pluto? I measured it uh, last night. Um, Oh, it's, I read it. I I, I hope it's true. Uh, One degree colder than than the lowest temperature on Pluto, which is surprising because, you know, Pluto is 40 times farther from the sun than we are. Um, This idea that proximity and warmth are not the same thing, that you could be near but far of heart. And it should sober us here, um, pretty much everyone here, I would imagine, because you could be out working on your golf swing. um, You could be at the beach. You could be sleeping in. You could be doing your homework. Um, You could be watching NFL pregame, preseason, whatever. There's other stuff you could be doing, but you chose to come to this building and sing songs and listen to the scripture and sit together here. Probably because at some level you want to be close to God. That's great, by the way. Keep coming back. Um, 
It works if you work it. Um, but it's also, he's also sobering because it's not just that he was hanging around close to Jesus, but he was doing the work of Jesus with the other 12. If you notice in the Gospels, I mean, Judas gets called out, you know, and, and demonstrated, and we know that he was sort of stealing from the coffers. He's kind of keeping a collection on the side. His, his other food and drink was clearly money and power. But also, like, he still did the work. As the disciples didn't say, they said he pilfered money, but they didn't go, you know, when we went casting out demons, did you notice that the, the demons Judas cast out just didn't kind of get all the way out? They were just sort of half out. Or when he healed people in the name of Jesus, they still kind of had a cough, like they weren't totally healed. Um, no, he was actually, he had, he had fruitful ministry along with the others. He was visibly doing the work of God while being close to God. And yet he walked away because he had other food and drink. His heart wanted something more than Jesus. What could that be for you? What are your other food and drink? It could be relationship that you depend on students. It could be your grades and the success and the hopes of your future. It could be our reputation. It could be just like Judas. We just love money and power. doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Or our own pleasure. There could be all sorts of reasons for us to be here because it gives us a stable family or it's good for our marriage or it's good for our children. It's good for society. The, the, the church has played an important role over the last 2,000 years in making the world a better place. So whether you want to be out there making the difference and changing the world in a sort of air quotes progressive sort of way, or whether you are the conservative that wants to stem the cultural tide of constant change that we have experienced over the last 100 years, those could all be reasons and they could actually deceptively become your food and drink, the thing that you want the most from God. They can fill us up. And here's the thing, they work. They do spoil our dinner for the short run. It works for a little while. Judas had a pocket full of coins and important friends, but it didn't end well. And one more reason to leave digging even deeper into our heart is just basic lack of faith, unbelief. So in verse 61, that word grumbling, he said he knew his disciples were grumbling amongst themselves. It's the same word in the Old Testament to describe when the Israelites would complain against God, gripe against him. And then when they say, this is a hard saying, did you notice they didn't say, this is a hard saying, can you explain it to us? No, they said, this is unacceptable. This is a hard saying. I can't even listen to this. It literally says, who can hear this? Like, I, I'm done here. This is nuts. I'm out. Who can listen to this? Which demonstrates their heart of unbelief. Um, the favorite vehicle I ever had was a Volkswagen station wagon. Loved it. When we outgrew it as a family, we had to replace it with a minivan. Um, but I remember we had only had the car, we had it used, but we had only had it for a few months. And suddenly the radio quit working. And I would notice when I would take like a hard right turn. It was really weird. Sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. If I'd take a hard right, it, it would stop. And then it got worse and worse and happened more and more frequently and quit working altogether. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take it in. It was still under warranty. So I remember reading in Consumer Reports how VW doesn't really have great electronics. I'm sure they'll just replace it. So I go down to Newport News and I'm sitting there in the waiting room uh, waiting for my car to get fixed. And the guy comes out with a smile on his face. He's like, hey, uh, Robertson, where's that? This is your Volkswagen. I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, put your hands out. I was like, that's a weird thing to say. He says, put your hands out. I put my hands out like, he's like, both of them. You're going to need both of them. So I put two hands out. And he dumps a bunch of coins in my hands, like quarters and loose change, like a, a big pile of it. And I'm like, 
is this like my refund? I don't know what's going on. Like, what is happening? And he was like, yeah, um, we're not going to replace this radio. Uh, the tape deck was full of coins. Like this was inside the, this was inside the radio. And a tape deck, by the way, kids, uh, there were these things called cassette tapes made of plastic and they were wrapped with this magnetic tape. Anyway, it's complicated. Ask your parents. Um, but, uh, Here's what happened. So I had been washing and cleaning out the car a few days earlier, and one of my kids, who was three years old at the time, was helping me and had discovered our uh, you know, little cash tray for paying our tolls and had seen a little tape deck, and they just fit beautifully and just made a beautiful sound and just had helped us by filling it. So what the VW people were saying, man, is like, look, it's not our problem, it's yours. And Jesus is saying, I know that some of you don't believe. There's nothing wrong with the radio signal. There's nothing wrong with what I'm actually saying. You have stuffed your heart with the coins of unbelief and you broke it. And I'm here to fix it. It's not me, it's you. Which is really offensive, by the way. It might give us another reason to leave. And then, of course, others leave, which is another reason to leave. Peter speaks for the 12 that Jesus has turned to. So many other disciples have turned and walked away. And we are kidding ourselves if we think that we are not affected by people around us and what they think and feel and say, all of us, me too. And we've demonstrated that in so many ways, time and again, they're leaving, maybe I should too. But the 12 don't. Some of them stay. Those are, why go? But now why stay? Why stay? It's real straightforward. First, because of who he is. Because of who Jesus is. It's his identity. See, none of Jesus' teachings make any sense unless we understand who he is. Um, And his teaching is, in fact, offensive and just flat out crazy if he's not who he claims to be and who the scriptures claim him to be. Well, who does he claim to be? In verse 62, he says he's the son of man. It's his favorite way to refer to himself. It's a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where one, like a son of man, this man figure slash God-like figure riding on the clouds, coming with an everlasting kingdom. And he's talking about returning to heaven where he was before. He says, if this offends you, wait until you see me ascend into heaven. If you want to hear that story, come to RUF on Tuesday night. Um, he's saying that he's preexistent. <laughs> He is divine. He is returning to heaven where he came from before. None of you can say that. I can't say that. No one you know can say that. Only one person can say that without being locked up if he is, in fact, that person. And then in Peter's confession here, verse 69, we've believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That phrase, the Holy One, is used through the prophets, especially in the book of Isaiah, over and over again, where God refers to himself as the Holy One or the Holy One of Israel. And Peter is here saying, you are the Holy One. You are the life giver. So divinity, at least in seed form in Peter's mind, being attributed to Jesus. We stay, even though he's offensive and hard and because he can say those sorts of things because he is God himself in the flesh, because of his identity, because of who he is. He is this unique person. And so he deserves it. He deserves it because of who he is. But that's not all. It's not just because of who he is, but 
because of what he has done. He deserves it in and of himself, but even more, where he says this, eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is well before his crucifixion, but as he got closer to his crucifixion, you remember this thing that we were going to do together in a moment. He sat down and talked this way again with his disciples in the upper room over the Passover meal saying, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. Take, eat, and drink, fulfilling what the Passover pointed to. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the lamb would be killed and the blood would be spilled? And then what would they do? They would eat the lamb. They would eat the sacrifice. And Jesus is saying here, you need me so badly that you need me to die. You need my blood shed for you. And then you need me incorporated into your very person. All of you need all of me. Um, And he does that. He gives up his life like a lamb. And again, the constant referencing of Judas here in this passage He says over and over, I know that Jesus is going to betray me. He knew who it was who believed. He knew who it was who would betray him. I chose you 12, but want to use the devil. He did it on purpose. He knew from the beginning, but he picked Judas to be part of the 12, knowing full well that he would turn him over to die. And that's why Jesus picked him. Because he wanted to do that to raise you up and to give you spirit, to give you life so that in his death you could live and in his resurrection you could have new life. That's a lot. If that's new to you, talk to a friend, talk to one of the pastors or elders here, get coffee with them and unpack that more. They would love to talk to you about that. So that's who he is, what he does, and then finally why, why he did it. There's a reason not to leave. Why did he do all that? Why did he pick Judas? Real straightforward, because he loves you. Because he loves you, because he loved them. We don't leave Jesus because he loves us. Because of his heart, he's worthy of our love and affection and worship. He deserves for us to stay. I love Peter's words here. It's a great one to go back to, because we all wrestle with doubts. We all ask these questions, whether it's out loud or just quietly in our minds. And I got to tell you, students, not in a bad way. And a lot of parents in here, you know the heartache and heartbreak of this. I'm not putting it down at all. But man, I get a lot of phone calls and emails and texts over the summer leading up to people coming or throughout the time that students are here. And it's kind of like they want to grab me by the face and be like, please don't let my kid leave the faith. They're very afraid of that because they know that that happens. And it does. But also people come to faith in college. And I've seen that happen and seen it happen for some of you and many of your friends. Peter's words here, though. Are you going to leave me too? (laughs) Can you imagine? Jesus turning to you and a few friends. Are you going to walk away as well? And John puts it in here so that Jesus can look at us and say the very same thing. Are you going to leave me too? He's asking us. Are you going to walk? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you have another suggestion, Jesus? Is there a better option? To whom shall we go? What I love about it is that Peter, who was grumbling with the others, saying this is a hard saying, 
he still doesn't understand the hard saying. Jesus hasn't explained it. He doesn't know yet. He doesn't get it yet. He doesn't understand the hard saying, but he has begun to understand Jesus. And he's saying, I got nowhere else to go. Like, you're it. I'm in. Let's do this. I'm trusting you. Thought about closing with a quote from Augustine, but I'm going to go with The Incredibles instead. I'm going to go with Pixar. Um, remember the scene in The Incredibles uh, where the little kid on the trike has previously seen Mr. Incredible with his superhuman strength, like casually pick up a car and put it down, exposing his identity by accident to this child. And um, then later on, when Mr. Incredible is having like his midlife crisis, existential meltdown, which is like very like spicy for a kid's movie. Like he's thinking about having an affair and leaving his family. It's like, whoa, it's a kid's movie, but okay. Um, but he's having this little meltdown in his driveway and he's kind of losing his temper and he turns around and there's a little kid on the trike staring at him. And Mr. Incredible says, what? What are you waiting for? And the kid says, it's so awesome. He goes, I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. That's Jesus and Peter. Are you going to leave me too? Well, I, I really don't know where else to go. Something amazing, I guess, is what I'm waiting for. Are you waiting for something amazing from Jesus? Have you seen enough to know that he is worth staying with, the one who's worth it, the one who is divine, who gives himself for you in love? To whom shall you go? He has the words of eternal life to give. Let's pray and then let's go to him together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are good, that you are worth it, um, that you are worthy of all of our praise and our entire life. Um, be with us now and feed us with yourself, we pray. Amen.